Well, hello, ladies and gents. Robert Sykes, KetoSavage.com, and today I have special guest Ben Seaman on the line, and we dive into a host of different things. We talk about how they got into keto. We talked about how they have introduced healthier foods to their three kids. We talk about his recent ketogenic cut that he did for a photo shoot because COVID canceled the competition, similar to my own. And we talked about what it's been like with a career in law enforcement that he has because it has been a very interesting year uh, past several years, but 2020 has definitely been a very interesting year for law enforcement. Uh, so we, we kind of dove into that and his perspective on the whole matter and how it's impacted him and others. Uh, I thoroughly enjoyed the conversation. I have a massive amount of respect for Ben and all that he stands for, and I appreciated him taking the time to chat with me today. I hope you enjoy the conversation as well. So without further ado, sit back, relax, and enjoy the podcast with Ben. Live, Ben. How are you, man? I'm good. How are you, Robert? I'm doing wonderfully, wonderfully well. It's kind of crazy, man, because we saw each other last at the Keto Summit Omaha, and that was in was it January or was it February? Yeah, it would have been right at the uh, at the third week of January, yeah, 2020. January. Yeah, and we had not seen each other since, and it's just been the crazy whirlwind of a year since then. A um, lot, lots happened to you since then. So, just kind of for anybody that doesn't know you, kind of bring us up to speed, man. How how did you get into the keto space? Um, what are you doing now? Let's just kind of give some backstory, and then we'll just dive into what's going on in the world now. Sure. So, I was originally introduced to the keto space by uh, my wife, uh, Dr. Jamie Seaman. Uh, some people better know her as Dr. Fit and Fabulous. Uh, we were kind of at a crossroads. This would have been. Uh, now four years ago, where we had tried every single diet known to man, uh, we just wanted to, you know, get back in the shape. Uh, Jamie had, at that point, uh, all three of our kids, and nothing was really working for us. And then I distinctly remember one day it was around Easter of uh, 2016 that she came to me with this wild idea of eating low carb and. She was calling it the cheetah ketogenic diet. And I was like, what are you talking about? This sounds like a foreign language. Yeah. Uh, it just, you know, it went against everything that we had learned in school growing up with the uh, food pyramid. It just didn't seem like it was something that we should be doing. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, okay, well, if we're going to dive into this, let's dive into it. And so we started eating low carb. You know, what a lot of people don't understand is that um, growing up and until about four years ago, uh, I was plagued with chronic migraines. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, I would wake up probably with a migraine, I would say five out of seven days, almost to the point that I was taking four ibuprofen before I went to bed just to try to head off if I was going to have a migraine in the morning. Well, one thing that I have found since I've eliminated a majority of the processed carbohydrates uh, from my diet is I don't have migraines anymore. You know, I, I feel better in the mornings and I don't have any other explanation besides that is what I eliminated from my diet. And was so, that pretty sudden? Like as soon as you eliminated that, you noticed the migraine dissipated? Yeah, well, I would say it probably with adjustment wise, it probably took me about a month. Mm-hmm. to really notice um, 
a huge difference. But since then, you know, I'm going on four years uh, with this lifestyle and they have not been recurring, um, you know, as far as waking up in the morning and having them. So that has been a blessing as far as uh, something I didn't think would happen just by changing my diet a little bit. And, you know, we have since gone on four years now and uh, I, I can honestly say that I feel the best I ever have. You know, I'm 36 years old and I have more to look forward to. And I just know that this lifestyle is sustainable. What does like a typical day of eating look like for you now? Have you changed much in your typical day of eating for keto now versus what you were consuming at the beginning? Or has that stayed pretty consistent? I would say in the beginning, uh, just trying not to shock my system, I was trying to limit, uh, you know, my carb intake between 50 and 75, you know, grams a day. But, uh, you know, I would say since then, like I have, you know, drastically gone down and, you know, I'm not going to uh, pretend that I don't eat carbs once in a while, but it's one of those that once you understand this lifestyle, you kind of know what your limitations are so that you don't fall back into the uh, streak of eating so many carbs, you know, that are unhealthy for you. So I would say now I, I would describe our behavior as more of a carnivore ish mm-hmm. um, kind of lifestyle where we, if we do have carbs, we're mixing in some vegetables and little bits of fruit, but that is the majority of what we're eating for carbs. And when I'm talking about, you know, mixing in vegetables, you know, we'll have mushrooms with our steak or we'll um, broil some Brussels sprouts, um, you know, things of that nature that we can pair with some of our meat choices. Gotcha. So all pretty, pretty clean sources, nothing crazy. No. Yeah. Very clean. I mean, that's one thing we were trying to instill just with ourselves. And then of course our kids watching us eat, they see us eating that way and, I'll never forget the first time I saw my oldest daughter. She is nine now. She is sitting at the breakfast table, and uh, I can't remember what I handed her. It might have been uh, one of those Cliff Bars, mm-hmm. like the Junior Cliff Bars. But uh, she wanted to read the label and know how many uh, carbs were in it and how much sugar. Nice. I mean, that was the first thing she went for. So, I mean, it's obviously our actions are rubbing off onto our kids, and I think we're setting them up for a better lifestyle in the long run. I'd love to kind of dive into that, man. Like y'all have three kids. The the parenting approach towards nutrition is always a you know controversial topic or like a, a, a not a very well understood topic. Like people don't know the best way to do it without ruling with an iron fist or you know giving them free reign. So what what approach have y'all taken towards that? Well, we have understood that th- th- there's going to be temptations on their side. I mean you know, since growing up, just there's going to be, you know, everything from sugary snacks to, you know, uh, lollipops, the, the ice cream, those things are going to be there. And so we have kind of taken the approach that, um, you know, we're giving them the options that they can go this direction as far as uh, if we are eating things at dinner, um, typically they have the option to eat with us or we try to find an alternative source. So, um they still eat macaroni and cheese once in a while, but it's not every single night. You know, it's more like a, we treat it as, you know, um, 
a once in a week type thing. And so to kind of give them a break to, you know, understand that, Hey, we still like mac and cheese. They can have that. Um, but we have found the more that we eat, um, you know, things like uh, steak and our, our go-to meal is just, you know, uh, browned up hamburger because we just have hamburger uh, on hand all the time because we like to uh, buy a whole cow at once from a local uh, butcher that we know. Nice. So uh, they just understand that they're always going to have their protein source and that they're going to have other things on top of it uh, within reason. But, you know, I still allow them to be kids we just try to limit like how much that they, you know, they have on a daily basis. So if we're picking out snacks for them, you know, we're trying to pick the things that have the cleanest uh, ingredients in them as far as, you know, um, you know obviously we know reading a label, the less ingredients, the better the product is. So uh, one thing we found is, uh, I don't know if you've heard of a company called Piedmontese Beef. Mm-hmm. They're up yeah. here and. uh and Lincoln, but they have uh, a beef stick that's out that it's just a quick go-to uh, natural beef stick that's just in the pantry. And so they will quite frequently use that as their snack if they are looking for something to eat on a, a quick basis. Nice, nice. Do they ever like go to a friend's house and eat a bunch of, you know, cake or something and come back just feeling terrible? Yes. Oh, no. oh yes, 100%. In fact, they just... Uh, they had a birthday party um, at a neighbor's house, I want to say a week or two ago. And I distinctly remember, uh, you know, all three of them coming home. And it was like, I don't know, four o'clock in the afternoon. And they wanted to pass out on the couch. Like they, <laughs> they had some cake there. And it was very obvious they were having, you know, that, uh, that sugar overload where just they wanted to fall asleep. Um, you know, but I'm not going to sit here and, and tell you that we don't allow our kids to have sugar once in a while. But like I said, we just try to set them up to have, to make better choices about those types of things. And one of the thing is that uh, Jamie bought an ice cream maker over the summer. And so we've been experimenting with different uh, keto um, ice cream recipes and the kids are hundred percent on board with that. I mean, they are, almost to the point that they only want Jamie's keto ice cream. Like they don't want anything else as far as from the store or, uh, you know, any other uh, brands that might be just loaded down with sugar. So that's kind of actually been nice to, you know, they, they love those recipes. Is this like Jamie's top secret recipe and you're sworn to secrecy and can't share it? Or can you give us, can you can divulge that information? Well, she's, you know, I'll tell you, okay, it's not top secret, but I mean, we do like to hold things close to the best, but you know, you know, she's using things like uh monk fruit sweetener and then uh, heavy, heavy whipping cream. Um, I'll tell you that probably the best flavor she has made so far is uh, her maple bacon. Nice. So, you know, those bags of like fresh bacon bits that you can buy at Costco. Mm-hmm. So you throw that into skillet, you get them nice and crispy. And then once that's done, you have your ice cream maker uh, already going. So she also mixes, um, it's a monk fruit sweetened uh, syrup that we found. I think, uh, I can't recall the brand right now, um, but it's a healthier syrup for, you know, these types of applications or if you're going to have it with other things. But 
I'm telling you, like with the syrup flavor in there and then the crunchiness of those bacon bits, there's nothing else like it out there. It is so good. I told her that night that she needs to try to patent this recipe because it's a game changer. (laughs) It's a game changer. I'm about to come see y'all at some point if, if, for nothing else than just to get some ice cream. <laughs> yes, of course. Yeah, we would love to have you back. It's like I said, Robert, this is this whole year. I mean, everybody can relate. January seems like it was years ago. Yeah, it um, does. And it's only October. We still got two months left of this year. Um, yeah, we just we need to do that again um, to have everybody back in person, just have in person events where, you know, we can connect on a personal basis and network. And, uh, that was just one of those things that we can't, you know, envision right now due to our current, uh, status. And so I just hope we get back there at some point, you know, to have those types of events and then we can get down to Arkansas and see you and Crystal also. hundred percent, man. Last time I was there at your house, I was in the middle of a prep. So I was like eating out of a Tupperware, when y'all had all that great food around, so I gotta, uh-huh. I gotta make it for that. Speaking of preps, you just, you just went through a prep this year as well. I'd love to kind of dive into that and, and have you talk about what your protocol was like, what, what was your motivation for doing it, like just kind of dive into that a little bit, man. Yeah, sure. So uh, Jamie and I had talked about doing a uh, prep or bodybuilding show for a long time. Um, it was kind of one of our goals that we had never. Uh, participated in a program like that or even a bodybuilding natural show per se. And so it always kind of been one of our goals. So we had set a a goal for the spring of, you know, 2020 that we had, you know, we would want to do that. And so we found a show that was in Omaha in May. And so we started making plans to prep for it. And then lo and behold, uh, Jamie ended up, uh, as we know now, getting selected for uh, Titan Games. So she was busy preparing for that. And I said, well, I, I still want to do this, even though you're not going to do it with me. I, I want to go through with this challenge. Um, so I ended up deciding just going on my own and start prepping for it. And I knew that I wanted to have more of a, a, a ketogenic kind of carnivore uh, prep basis for it. So uh, I ended up talking to Danny Vega about uh, putting together a plan. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was, I'll be honest with you, Robert, I was initially shocked when he, he sent me the plan just to look at how many, not only meals I was going to be eating a day, but just calories that I was going to be taking in. I'm thinking to myself, aren't I going to gain weight mm-hmm. with this? Like, you know, I'm supposed to be cutting. Like this is kind of, interesting but i you know starting out it was pretty tough because you know i hadn't really been eating like that for a long time just because obviously the the premise behind if you eat more carnivore then you're sustaining through more meals or at least meal times Mm -hmm. so i mean i was it just felt like i was eating like six meals a day even though it wasn't that many but i was having you know um choices on you know meat that he would give me which would run anything from you know uh, ground up hamburger uh, at lunchtime with eggs to in the middle afternoon i would have a ribeye with you know more eggs and then 
in the evening, then it was a choice of like chicken, salmon, or if I wanted to go back to beef, I go back to beef. But I actually kind of found more of a, a comfort once I got into it, because I'll be honest, like there's a lot of times I have decision fatigue with just choosing what to eat. Mm-hmm. You know, you come home in the middle of the the day, like oh, what am I going to cook for dinner? Like he's like play like the, the two hour game and try and decide that. So it, it became more of a, I don't know, a welcoming um, resolution for me because I already knew what I was going to eat. I already had everything measured out. It was a sitting right there in the fridge. And so kind of became a, a game of w- when Jamie would come home be like, well, I already know what I'm eating. So you're on your own. <laughs> like, yeah, unless yeah. you're going to eat what I'm eating, you got to fix something else. And so uh, there was quite a bit of, uh, um, I guess, uh, time that went by that, you know, she ended up just mostly eating what I was eating at the same time. And then the kids started diving in and then they were eating some of the same things, but you know, it wasn't anything exotic. Obviously it was just, you know, chicken, salmon for dinner and then beef in the mid afternoon. But, um, I'll tell you that as far as mentally trying to wrap your head around this and preparing for it, um, it was one of the more mentally challenging things I've done as far as you're just, you're looking at the end goal. That's, you know, three to four months away. And you're thinking to yourself, how can I ever get to that point? Mm-hmm. You know, H- how can I ever, uh, achieve that? And you just have to be mentally tough and keep doing it and trust the process, you know, just keep trusting that what, you know, the advice you're getting from your coach on a weekly basis where they're changing your, um, your calorie and fat intake and, um, just trust that it's going to work out and that you adhere to the workout, uh, regiment and that it'll, it'll end up on the positive side. And so, uh, one thing I never knew about this until I dove into it and you've done many shows, so you understand this, but, uh, Danny told me I had to hire a posing coach. Mm-hmm. I said, what are you talking about? Like, you know, a posing coach. I'm like, what poses? Cause I, in my head, I'm thinking I like seeing like one or two natural bodybuilding shows. Like, I'm just thinking they just walk out there and flex and then walk back off. <laughs> like I didn't understand that you actually had to do certain poses. Mm-hmm. And so that was an interesting experience. Just, well, first of all, trying to find somebody to do it and then actually going to practice with them. And then you're flexing as hard as you can in a certain pose while they're critiquing you. you know? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, that was something I never experienced. I mean, it's good experience. It just at first seemed kind of odd to me. So um, I definitely understand why that is critical now because that's obviously part of the the judging process and how they score you but uh that was definitely a different experience a uh, little out of my comfort zone but i'm glad that i was able to do it now but, yeah a lot of people you know they'll like they'll go to a show like they'll know somebody and they'll go to a show they'll see it on tv or internet or something like that and they they'll not be able to wrap their head around why anybody would want to do this i mean you you deprive yourself of food for months on end you train really hard you lose sleep nothing seems to fit the stars never align and then you put this super dark tan on you go to a stage you pose in front of a bunch of judges and then they they rate you like most people at surface level they're like why would you want to do that but you know Uh as you said 
just prior to that, like you learned more about yourself and it was like a, a very mentally challenging, you know, obstacle to overcome. And, and that's why I love bodybuilding. Like I describe bodybuilding as a mental sport more so than a physical sport because you, when you take away all the decision fatigue, if like, you know what your macros are going to be, you know what your meals are going to be, you know what your day is going to look like, you know, you're going to train, you know, you're going to wake up, you know, all that stuff is taken care of. And then you just chip away at it day after day after day. You have less decision fatigue on the things that really don't matter in life, like the surface level questions as to what's for dinner. And because you right. strip that away, you're forced to dive deeper into the questions of what are you made of and why are you here in life? And that's, at least for me, is just so incredibly rewarding. No, I, I would agree. It, it, it's thinking back on it now, it was almost therapeutic, mm-hmm. you know, to, you know, first of all, understand that, okay, so I was able to accomplish that. So what else can I do with my life? You know, um, I, I never envisioned that in my 30s that I could be arguably probably the best shape of my life, or at least, you know, as far as, you know, muscle mass, the best shape of my life. Um so th- that was what was interesting was just to see, you know, the results of, you know, your hard work just to get through those four months. Um, of course, I had another um, issue that I had to overcome was, you know, due to COVID, we actually had our show canceled. It was a month and a half, uh, about a month before it was actually occurring. Mm-hmm. And so I was kind of faced with a decision of, okay, so do I stop? prepping now um, because there is no show to perform at, you know, it's almost, it was almost kind of like that mental game of deciding, is this worth it now? Like what is my end goal if I can't even go to the show? Mm -hmm. So, you know, Jamie and I talked about it and uh, we had this, uh, you know, kind of proclamation of, um, you know, we had a photo shoot together that, was probably more geared around a a fitness photo shoot uh, a year. Well, it was a year and a half ago. And so we decided that, well, if we can't go to the show, why not we just do another one of those photo shoots and it would give me kind of an end goal to keep prepping because we just made the photo shoot the day that I would have been performing at the show. Mm -hmm. So she decided for six weeks to go on a uh, uh, kind of a meal prep plan that she would prep alongside me, get ready to the shoot. So it was kind of a modified six weeks program, but you know, she's already in pretty good shape anyway. So that was not an issue for her just to, you know, grab onto this six week program. And she has, you know, posted some photos from that photo shoot and, on my Instagram, we have a few more, but I'll tell you what, like that was instant motivation just to see that, okay, there, there is an end goal now that I can get to, and then we can share, you know, our success with each other by having this awesome photo shoot. So that in the end was a blessing also. Yeah, that that was the way to do it, man. Like the same thing happened with me. My shows got canceled, you know, weeks before I intended on stepping on stage and when, when you're in the middle of a prep and you've been prepping for months already and the, the the thing about bodybuilding that most people will never really experience is that having that defined date on the calendar is mm-hmm. like literally one of your only, you know, 
strongholds that you can just grasp onto and is tangible to keep you going through the day-to-day. So when that's stripped from you, it's like you're just totally, you know, heart broke. You know, what, what do you do now? Um, so having that photo shoot, you know, for, for me, for y'all, I mean, that, that literally is what kept kept us going. So I think y'all doing that together especially is just awesome. And, and the photo shoot turned out great, man. I mean, you both look amazing. You're super shredded. Um, so <laughs> whatever you did, it worked. Yeah, it was, you know, quite, uh, I mean, I don't want to say surprising, but, you know, actually seeing, you know, the product at the end, all it did was just motivate me. I want to do this again. You know, I not only um, felt good about it, but just because I wasn't able to actually do the show, that just is more motivation for me now. Okay, I want to go to the same show next year and start prepping again because now that's my goal to actually compete in the show and so um it's just more of a driving factor for me now that i think i'm going to uh sign up for that show come this spring again and then start prepping about the same time you know january into february and you know robert i'm not gonna lie i mean it, it was even though it was emotionally tough and mentally tough um I love the process, so I am one hundred percent gonna do it again. I'm I'm excited for you, man. Like it's it's interesting, like a lot of people when they're doing their first prep, it's it's like they the fear of the unknown is really debilitating. And then as soon as that show is over or that photo shoot in your case is over and you're able to like breathe and and reflect, it's like Okay, now I'm addicted. <laughs> so you, you you can't really go through that. If if you if you cut corners in that initial process, and then you're, you know, not happy with the end result, then it's going to be a negative that constantly looms over you. But if you give it your all and you don't cut corners and you really push yourself mentally and physically, then regardless of the placing, when you step off that stage, it's like this was so incredibly worth it, no matter the hardship, because I grew so much so much as a person. Uh, both internally and externally. So I think mm-hmm. you recognizing that, seeing the fruits of your labor come to fruition, and then w- being motivated to do an actual show going forward is is awesome, man. I'm I'm excited for you to do the show and go through the whole process again because you get better each time and you learn more about yourself each time, and it just becomes more sustainable. Like there's a lot of things that I messed up on my first show, but it it helped me figure out what not to do the next time. So each time you cycle through a a prep you it becomes much more enjoyable mm-hmm. yeah I, I agree i'm looking forward to those um those aspects of it and i even you know kind of mixed in over the last few months like i'll do like a two-week you know food prep here and there just to try to like start wrapping my mind around okay this is what it's going to be like again here in you know two or three months uh, when i start prepping again so but I'll be honest, you know, I, if I had the choice, um, you know, more just with, uh, you know, family eating, I, I would prep almost every single week, meeting like my meals. Like mm-hmm. I just, I love this being able, especially with work, just walking into the fridge and grabbing, you know, uh, a pre-made uh, Pyrex out of the fridge and just going. I mean, it's just, I just feel like you get more done that way. And you don't have to think about it all day. hundred percent, hundred percent. Like, yeah. Having that's just, you know, I, I would always, I, I adjust my macros every week. So I would just, or 
Crystal would do most of the cooking, but she would meal prep uh, for the week, yeah. and then it would just be grab and go. And that, you know, not having the decision fatigue, but then also just having it done and ready, I mean, you save so much time, and your overall efficiency with everything else in your life just improves drastically. Mm-hmm. Yes, 100%. So speaking about work and schedule and everything, dive into that a little bit, man. What, what do you do for a living for anybody that doesn't know, and how is – not just keto, but just everything going on with the year itself kind of impacted your career path. Yes. So, uh, for everybody doesn't know, I am a police officer for uh, Lincoln police in Lincoln, Nebraska. Uh, currently I'm assigned as a sergeant and a street supervisor. I have been doing that for the better part of 13 years. Uh, mostly, um, as anybody would, when they start academy, they, you know, go through the 19 week academy and then they come out on their own and work street patrol. And, um, of course everybody knows like when you're in the police department, I think, I think you have an idea when you're going in that, Oh, like these are going to be some interesting work schedules, but, uh, then it hits you. Like once you get sent to like second or third shifts, like, you know, I'm working some pretty odd hours here and, you know, these, are going to be some difficult times as far as, you know, making decisions for eating. And of course, when I first started back in 2007, that was not even my radar. Like I didn't understand how to eat. I didn't understand um, how to, to meal prep or anything like that. And so, you know, in the beginning when it was just Jamie and I, cause we got married in 2008, um, you know, we, we, we didn't think about that stuff. And then all of a sudden we had kids come along And, you know, trying to juggle activities with me working shift work and then Jamie being on call with, you know, her her duties as an OB-GYN, you know, those are things that are uh, very hard to overcome sometimes. I mean, you have to be pretty mentally tough and very organized to try to juggle, like I said, the shift work and then the kids' activities and then uh, nannies coming and going from the house just because Jamie and I for a number of years worked opposite schedules where I worked night shift and she worked day shift. And mm-hmm. so, you know, almost like two ships passing in the night, you know, I'd get home in the morning and pretty much say goodbye to her and go to bed and she go to work. So, you know, those are the things that we've had to kind of deal with over the last few years and, you know, just trying to be there to support each other because, you know, with especially with the current climate that's going on um, in our country, you know, it's interesting that, um, you know, we even getting applicants anyways to be part of the police department. And I can see it in my young officer's eyes. You know, they, they don't understand why this is happening. They don't understand why they're being singled out. And I'll be honest, it's hard to explain to them, except that, you know, just to tell them, you got to be mentally tough and you got to keep down to the grind and keep going, you know, all this negativity, it doesn't matter what people say. It's what you think that matters, you know, and that you just got to keep going. And so, um, Jamie and I have had a lot of interesting discussions at home in the past few months, not only with what's going on with COVID, but just all the events that have been occurring over the summer. So that's been, um, quite challenging but you know we'll, we'll figure out a way to get through this i'd love to kind of flesh this out in greater detail if you're if you're interested because i don't have near the perspective that you do 
um, in law enforcement, but I, I respect you as a person. I mean, I know you personally. I've got nothing but good things to say about you. And the same is true with, with Brandon Clark, who was working here at Keterbrook. I mean, I've got a world of respect for him, and he was with the police force for 15 years before he came here. And then after everything that happened this summer, he felt compelled to return back to the police force um, because that's where he thought he would be you know, best serving his fellow human being. And I totally respect that and can 100% get behind that. So I'd love to just hear your take, uh, if you care to give it, as to what is going on right now. Like, I feel like the police force as a whole have, have had a pretty hard go of it uh, for the past several years, but 2020 especially, it's just like it's all come to a, you know, just a, a pinnacle. Yeah, you know, it's we've had a lot of events. I mean, I would agree with you. It's uh, 2020 has been quite the exception as far as, you know, I can point to other events that have happened, you know, from 2014 and on that have been, uh, you know, very critical of the law enforcement profession. Um, you know, I could spend another hour or two with you talking about what I think is going on with not only professional law enforcement um, or just uh, society in general. Uh, but to kind of break it down here, um, we have certain parts of society that are, you know, being taught that you question everything. And that's not only just because of law enforcement in general. I, I just say that's probably across the board, just mm -hmm. to question everything, you know, regardless of profession. Um, but then you have a few key groups that are kind of jockeying to, uh, to kind of get power in certain areas. And so they, you know, are waiting for a certain event to pop up that they can kind of magnify and politicize. And then it kind of just spreads like wildfire after that. I mean, you could point to, um, any number of the incidents that happened just this past summer, whether it's uh, Minnesota, uh, Wisconsin, you know, there's a couple other ones like in Georgia, but, um, you know, people are, I think, quick to react to certain things. I mean, they see a 10 second clip on, on social media and they react to it when in reality it was pared down from probably a minute or longer clip that you could have seen everything transpire. But I think as far as, uh, you know, a culture change here, um, are there some things that the law enforcement profession could probably do a little better? Yes. Um, we're always evolving and that's with, you know, times that we have to evolve because things change. Uh, but unfortunately, you know, over, decades of um, reform, whether it came from, you know, uh, the medical community or political community or what have you, you know, you have officers that are being asked to be uh, mental health experts, counselors, parents, uh, law enforcers, um, clergy. I mean, you run the gamut of they are just expected to do everything and do it without flaw. You know, and I'll point specifically to mental health. You know, I can only speak for our department, but our department over the, the 13 to 14 years I've been there, I can remember every single year we have received mental health training. 
Now it's, you know, probably less than eight hours a year, but we still go through some sort of mental health training and I'll, I'll stand by our reputation that I think we probably do one of the better jobs in the country as far as dealing with mentally ill people, whether that's just being able to evaluate them, whether they just need to go see a doctor or if they actually are in crisis and they need to go to a locked facility. I mean, I think we're one of the pioneers in actually dealing with that stuff. I can't say that for everybody, but that's also the reason our department's so good at it doesn't mean that a department down the road isn't. And that's because nobody's willing to spend any money on mental health resources. And that starts with mental health resources in the community. You know, I think that's why we're at kind of a junction where we're at right now is that there is so much mental health uh, in our community that there is a problem as far as people out there that have mental health issues that cannot get help the last resort that they turn to is the police department. Mm-hmm. And like I said, I think we are able to deal with it, but at the same time, the police department wasn't built to deal with mental health issues as far as being able to talk to them like a counselor would and dealing with them like a counselor would. And so that's why I think you um, have some of these instances that pop up that people with mental health issues the police weren't able to contain them and then they end up fighting and then tragically something bad happens. Now, if you ask some people, they say that, you know, an officer used too much force in reality, they were just responding to their training, you know, that they were trained through the police Academy through use of force techniques and the use of force continuum. And, you know, it's unfortunate that it has to be, in my opinion, politicized to a point that it's almost alienating a whole profession. Um, when I don't think that law enforcement is necessarily the problem because what other profession, um, you know, would you find 900,000 plus people still showing up to protect the, you know, the citizen who hates them, you know, and I'm not saying every citizen, but, you know, there's still people out there that it doesn't matter how much they talk bad about the police. If they call for help, we're still responding, you know? So that's what I've kind of found over the years working when within my organization is that there are so many good people that work for the police departments that it, it's so selfless that they don't care who it is that calls if they, you know, spoke ill of them the day before they're still going to get in that car and go respond if they need help. And so um, that's one thing that I've really admired about the profession that it still overcomes all of the negative stuff that's going on right now. Yeah. It's, it's interesting for me to, to not have, you know, near the, the experience or perspective that you do, but just, you know, being on the outside looking in, it's, it's crazy to see just the, the sheer underappreciation for what the profession as a whole is designed to be but then mm-hmm. on the flip side of that like i'm i'm totally baffled by society's ability to you know totally shift judgment in a negative light based off of the incomplete story in so many instances like media is designed to elicit an emotional response i mean and unless you see the entire 
story unfold from both sides, you can't really come to a realistic and well understand well understood you know position on what just happened. But media is only showing the the bits and pieces that are going to elicit the biggest response, for better or worse. Oftentimes, for worse, because that garners more views. And to see that happen and unfold, and then it results in the complete and utter, you know, discreditation of the entire police force in so many people's eyes, it just it just amazes me. Like I there are definitely bad officers out there. There's bad everybody out there from all camps and all professions. But it's it's very sad for me to witness the the masses turning away from the people that are there for the right reasons. I mean it's it's just it's just sad for me to see. Yeah, it is, and uh, you know you you touched on something there, Robert, that uh, I wanted to comment on. You know, we're talking about you know it, it, in reality, um, I know that it's not the majority of people that are f- feeling this way. The media might uh, want to make you think that way, um, but I'll just point out that. Uh, you know, ever since a lot of this started and I, you know, I'm mostly referencing from like 2020, but I'm thinking about events even back to 2014 with uh, Ferguson and some of those other high profile events. You know, we, since then, if one of these major events happens, I mean, we can't stop the flood of people that are bringing things down to the police department, you know, whether it's like food, drinks, uh, well wishes and cards, um, kids that are like drawing pictures for us saying they appreciate us. I mean, it's been nonstop since May that we've had a couple of companies that have stepped up in the community and they have basically decided that one or two days a week, they are bringing lunch down to the police department and feeding every officer. Like they just decided to do that. Nobody prompted them. It's their own money. And so, you know, it's little things like that that still make us believe that it's not the majority of people that feel this way, you know, that if you want to call them the silent majority or what have you, that they still believe in us and they still want us to do our jobs. And so that's been kind of interesting to see the dynamic of, if you watch the media, you would make, it would make you think that nobody wants to police around, but then you have the community that steps up and shows you otherwise. And so that's been really positive to see, um, especially in these, um, unknown times. That, that's so, a really good point. I probably misspoke for sure when I said majority, cause you know, I have to, it, it's, it's interesting to see the, the 5% on both you know, opposing ends of the spectrum are the most vocal and often garnish the most media time. But and that mm-hmm. majority is is silent in some regards. But it is cool to see people step up when they know that a, a group, in this case the police force, is being misrepresented. And like just in a case in point, something as simple as bringing food or having the kids make the cards. I mean, that's probably. I mean, you got to have hope. You got to have hope in life. And if it's all doom and gloom, then what's the point? Um, and there is hope in life. And I, despite all the chaos that the media is, is putting out there right now, like I, I, heck, I love podcasting because I can talk to you, whom I respect, and we can talk about hope. We can have a good conversation about 
keto diet and what's going on in the state of the world right now. But at the end of the day, we're going to end this call, and I'm going to know that you're a freaking awesome guy, and you're doing the right things for the right reasons, and you got people that love you, and that stands for a lot. Yes, and I, I appreciate you saying that. Uh, you know, both Jamie and I um, really appreciate all the positive comments that, you know, we've been getting uh, not only uh, from – our good friends, but, you know, other people who, you know, we really only know through social media, you know, that they, they've even been reaching out, sending us nice uh, comments um, ever since, you know, this whole year started. And um, they didn't, they didn't have to do those types of things. Um, They went on their own and just reached out. And so that, that still gives me hope that, you know, we have, you know, wonderful people in this world that still appreciate the job you're doing and understand that it's a tough job. So they want to lend their support. And so, especially this, you know, time of year when um, you you hope that uh, somehow we can get this thing turned around and, uh, you know, just keep being positive, I guess is what, you know, it's all about. Yeah. Well, shoot, man, you, you get my support every day of the week. So if you ever need anything from me, man, you, you let me know. Oh, of course, man. Of course. Well, what are you excited about going forward? I guess let's wrap up with some hopeful positivity as well. What, what, what's got you excited going forward? Well, so, uh, I'm sure a lot of people have, uh, saw that, you know, my wife, Dr. Fit and Fabulous, she's, uh, vying for the Mrs. America spot. She won Mrs. Nebraska. So, uh, we have a lot of planning to do for that because that's going to be held in Las Vegas come in January. And so, uh, she's actually, you know, as you know, she has all this time on her hands. Yeah, not really. (laughs) She is so busy and we're so proud of her for all the accomplishments that she's been able to make. But, um, you know, she's making appearances for uh, Mrs. Nebraska. And so I've been helping her with that. And uh, what's interesting, Robert, is that I found a new uh, love for putting up Christmas lights. (laughs) That makes any sense. Um, So last year I decided that, uh, you know, I've been seeing all these houses that have all these custom Christmas lights on them. I'm like, wow, like that's pretty cool. And then I kind of got turned off a little bit by how much those companies were charging. And so I decided to watch some YouTube videos and learn how to do it. And so I, I did my own house and I decided, wow, that was kind of fun. I like that. And so now everybody that was driving by, uh, in particular last year, they saw my house and they're like, who did that for you? I was like, well, I did it. They're like, what? You did that? Like, yeah. Like I put it up on myself. So, 10 clients later, I am putting up Christmas lights for people, custom Christmas lights. So uh, that's kind of new and exciting. And who knows, maybe it'll turn into uh, a business platform. I mean, as far as custom Christmas lights, just to make some cash on the side. I love it, man. Uh, well, what's the season kinda, of Christmas lights? When do you start, I guess, after Thanksgiving, your, your fair game? Uh, well, I'm actually, I'm starting this week. Nice. Because I got to get all that stuff up uh, before Thanksgiving, as far as at least that's the goal, as long as the weather's nice. But um, who knows? Maybe uh, a little company called Griswold Lighting might be in your future, Robert. Might be, uh, you know, having some franchises down in Arkansas and come decorate 
uh, you and Crystal's house. Well, shoot, if you want to commute that far for some business, man, you've got it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so kind of got off the, the rails there a little bit, but that's, uh, you know, kind of a newfound uh, passion I have. And, uh, you know, as far as uh, just being up on a, a roof and having something mindless to do, it's a little far cry from uh, what I have to do at work. So it's actually kind of therapeutic for me. It's it's funny, man. Like when you do mindless, like when you have a, a career path that is just constantly, you know, using up mental bandwidth, which for you, I could definitely see it being the case, you know, in the police force. For me, it's the same, you know, with the business. Whenever I'm doing mm-hmm. something mindless, whether it be like splitting firewood, mowing the yard, or washing dishes, like I actually really appreciate it. Oh yes, hundred percent. It's almost like uh, your your vacation. I mean, that's kind of how I uh, wrap my head around it. That you know, I don't have to make any tough decisions. You know, I just have to kind of be even killed for a while, and it's very therapeutic to me. I hundred percent agree. Totally, totally. Well, Ben, listen, man, I have got nothing but respect for you. I appreciate who you are as an individual, also who you are in the family that you got. Uh, all the support that you give to Jamie, the kids, everybody, everything you, you do in the community as a whole. Um, I mean, you are you are truly an, a very impressive individual that does things for the right reasons in a very selfless manner. And I take my hat off to you for that, man. I think anybody would benefit from emulating more of that behavior. Yeah, I appreciate it, Robert. And I can't thank you enough for having me on your podcast. 100%, man. Where can people go to find out more about you and, and uh, check out the Christmas lights? Well, if you want any more information on Christmas lights, uh, you can just send me a personal message. You can find me on Instagram under uh, Sergeant Fenton Fabulous, or I'm also on uh, Facebook. Um, I go by uh, Ben August on there. Um, August is my middle name. Awesome. But uh, you can f- you can find me both places. Uh, if you go to Dr. Fenton Fabulous first, I'm tagged underneath her. You'll see me. But uh yeah, who knows? Maybe this Christmas light thing will turn into a booming business where I have franchises everywhere. We'll see. <laughs> awesome, man. Well, Anyways, I'm, I'm excited. I'm excited for you. And I, I, I'm i excited to come see you again or you come down here one or the other sooner rather than later. But I'd love to, to reconnect and, and do something in person. Yes, I would love that. Uh, I enjoy seeing all your hunting pictures because growing up, I was a pretty avid hunter. I just haven't had... Uh, very lot, very much time uh, lately to do that, but yeah, we would love to come down and see you guys here soon. Well, shoot, man, let's, let's plan a hunting trip. I'm always down to go to the farm and and get some good hunting in with some good people. Yeah, I would love that. That'd be very therapeutic. Hundred percent. Well, until next time, man. You have a good one, Ben. All right, thanks, man. Take care. Take care, brother.